before, uh, before we get going, uh, this is why I don't, I don't finish things early because it never works out well for me. I had a beautiful PowerPoint presentation prepared. It had colors and textures and colors, yes. And most of you know that is not me. All right, so I was like, okay, we're going to do it upright. Coach brought it up, loaded it on the computer up in the balcony from the sound booth and everything, started playing it out, and it wouldn't bring up my points. It would bring up my headers, but it wouldn't bring up the points. So anyway, so what, you, uh, what you'll see tonight is essentially, uh, uh, well, this is probably more like what I, would normally <laughs> what I would normally do, which is just black and white, no frills, just text and, you know, if you want to do something fancy with it, then go draw when you get home or, you know, something like that. So all that being said, hopefully everything will still come out, uh, come out clear as we go through. You should have um, been able to pick up as you were, if you came in from the back, from the uh, foyer out there, you should have been able to pick up a sheet that's front and back um, that has some notes. We'll um, more or less track through um, uh, what we have laid out there. Does anyone else need... A handout, Mike, just bring a handful. Okay. All right, let me, let me pray and then we'll begin. Father, it's a tremendous challenge for anyone to be given the responsibility to, uh, to nurture and to care for another living soul and to think especially that as parents uh, we've been given uh, a tremendous responsibility. It's, it's a privilege, but it's also uh, dawning at times to think that um, we're trying to um, point our kids to you. Uh, we're trying to show them Christ uh, and to do it in such a way that um, we don't manipulate, we're not overbearing, we're not too passive, but uh, that we're uh, the means by which um, you cause the truth to be brought to bear on the hearts and minds of our kids uh, by the power of your Spirit. We ask, Father, that you would continue to, uh, to keep us in a place as parents and as grandparents, anyone that has a, a role in, uh, in the shaping of young minds, that you would continue to keep us mindful of the fact that, uh, that we're utterly dependent upon you, um, that you have called us to be faithful, and that uh, the production of fruit um, belongs solely to you. We can't do that. We can't force your hand or your timing. So help us to trust you and to rely on your strength uh, to fulfill the calling that you've given us. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, if anyone uh, needs some notes, you just put your hand up. All right, teaching and talking along the way, how parents disciple their children at home. If you have your Bible with you, you can go ahead and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. That's... Uh, passage in there is going to be the, the base or the foundation for what we do tonight. Let me tell you what we're going to do for the next two weeks, assuming that there aren't any surprises um, for the two Sundays after this. Uh, this sort of lays a foundation for, um, for uh, discipling your kids in just sort of a, a broad way. And then we're going to try to narrow it down a little bit in weeks two and three. The second week, uh, we're going to spend some time looking at the role that, um, that law, or if you want to say uh, obedience, plays in the home. Um, simply put, there's, a, there's been, and in some ways it's been very encouraging, a big push in family ministry um, to talk about uh, talk about parenting with grace and with humility and everything, which has corrected probably a lot of extremes on one end of the spectrum, but the danger is that you go from one end of the spectrum to the other, and instead of finding a good balance, you've kind of overcompensated just to the, to the opposite extreme. And so sometimes what you have today is the notion that any kind of law or order or you know, instruction or command is automatically legalistic. Um, it's not gospel-centered. It's not grace-filled. And I just think that that doesn't hold up when you look at Scripture. So next week, we'll look at uh, the role that law plays in, uh, in discipling your children and bringing them to Christ. And then the third week is where we want to take a little bit of time and talk about childhood conversion, so what do you do when, um, when your son or daughter comes to you and they say, I'm 
Southern Baptist background, right? I asked Jesus into my heart. I don't know what the Presbyterians or the Methodists are. Do they ask Jesus into their heart? Yes? No? Okay. No one wants to answer for the Presbys? <laughs> All right. Uh, I don't know how, how other kids do it. That's Growing up here, that's just kind of the, the lingo. You ask Jesus into your heart. So, you know, when little Johnny comes and says that he's done that, what, what's your response? I mean, is, is that good? Is he in? Do you need to follow up? If you're going to follow up with it, how do you follow up? Do you, you know, tell him, well, sorry, son, you haven't reached the age of accountability yet, so you can't possibly be a Christian. And so those are the, some of the things that we want to look at in the, in the third week, okay? Um, starting off uh, this, for this first session, we're going to talk about uh, having patterns and persistence in the home. And we'll start off with some disclaimers and then some presuppositions. Disclaimer number one, good parents can end up with wayward children and vice versa. Good parents can end up with wayward children and vice versa. All you need to do is go to Scripture to look and to see through Israel's history that there have been plenty of godly men who have godless sons. So you take someone who brings about a revival or reform in the kingdom, his son comes up after him, and he basically undoes everything that his father did. It's possible that the father was much better as a king than he was as a dad. Always possible. But it's also possible that there's absolutely no guarantee in Scripture or in God's revelation that if you do it a certain way, you're going to end up with a guaranteed result. Uh, you take into account also the fact that ultimately the standard by which we measure all parenting is God himself who stands in relation to us as a father, and we know that as a father, God has plenty of wayward children. Granted, he has the means and the ability to bring them back in ways that I don't have to bring my own kids back. Nevertheless, God certainly doesn't do anything wrong in his fathering or in his parenting, and yet we see over and over again that whether it's in the case of someone like Judas, who walked with Jesus day in and day out for years, or just in the Christian experience in general, we know that there are plenty of Christians or those who would claim to be God's children who just seem to go off the rails for no explicable reason. Uh, point number two, Scripture is not a how-to manual for parenting. All right? We're not suggesting that Scripture doesn't speak to parenting, obviously, or we wouldn't be here. What we mean by that, though, is that if you approach the Bible as this is, you know, my instruction manual or the owner's manual, this is, I, I know everything I need to know about raising kids because I've got the Bible, you're, you're going to be very frustrated. Or if you're not frustrated, you're going to be, um, well, probably the best way to say it is you're going to be very inventive and creative in making Scripture match what you need at the moment and justifying your rationale for parenting. All right, what you find more often than not in Scripture, Old and New Testament, are broad categorical statements with a lot of room to move around. So, for example, in Ephesians uh, chapter 6, where Paul is instructing the fathers um, not to exasperate their children. Don't exasperate your children, but raise them up in the fear and instruction of the Lord. Period. And then he goes to his next statement. How do, you raise, how do you raise your children up in the fear and instruction of the Lord? Paul doesn't tell us. But he assumes somehow, some way, that Christian parents know how to do that or at least are able to do it. In Proverbs, train up a child in the way he should go. How do you know which way he should go? Discipline. Diligently. How do I discipline? When do I discipline? Am I disciplining too much? Am I disciplining too little? You, you get the point, right? There, there's a lot of gray area where Scripture just does not speak with the specifics or the details that we would like. And then lastly, because of the fact that Scripture does not give us a step one, step two, step three 
but rather kind of gives us more of a framework or here's the end goal, move in that direction. There are any number of methods or approaches or patterns that parents will take that will look very different in, in, the, way that it's, in the way that the parenting is being executed, and yet they can still end up at the same destination, right? So if I had my, if I had my preference... I would, I would much rather spend almost all of my time sitting next to one of my kids with a book. Paul Grubb probably likes books. I know that he reads. He also likes to go camping with his kids. I don't. All right? Nevertheless, a bookish approach or an outdoors approach the end result can be the same in that you're spending time with your kid and you're taking opportunities to connect with them and to nurture them and to train them. It'll look very different, but at the end of the day, assuming that we're moving in the same direction, we can still reach the, the same place. Does, does that make sense? So, so having said that, I'm very wary, or I would be very wary with any kind of a, a parenting book or a lecture or something like that that gives the impression that if you do it this way, you're guaranteed success. This is the way to do it. I, I just don't think it's there, all right? If it was, I think we, God probably would have told us. All right, enough of the disclaimers. Let's work with two presuppositions. And the reason I, I say this is because I'm not going to spend much time developing this. I'm just going to assume this for the sake of the argument and so that we can save time in what we do here. Uh, number one, every Christian parent has been called to make disciples of their children. If you take into account the fact that throughout the Old Testament, which really has as much if not more to say about parenting than the New Testament does, throughout the Old Testament it's very clear and very obvious that instruction in the faith or instruction in what it means to be part of God's covenant people always starts at the home and it's the primary task of the father and mother. Always. Now, that's not to say that in the event that you have an absentee father or mother that God can't use other means. He certainly does, right? Someone like Samuel is brought to the tabernacle to serve at the time that he's a young boy, and he lives with Eli, who has two godless, immoral sons. This is not the place that you want to drop your boy off for years of ministry training, Eli's boys are sleeping around with women at the doorway to the, to the tabernacle. They're stealing from God's sacrifices. God basically says, Eli, because you haven't gotten your house in order, judgment's going to come. And yet, Samuel sits under the guidance and the instruction of this same man and turns out to be one of the finest, most upstanding men that Israel has ever known. So again, you have plenty of examples of how, whether in mixed marriages, absentee parents, or even in Scripture, God is still able to produce His results, even though the assumption is, or the baseline is, that He uses the parents as the foremost trainers and disciplers in the home. So you see that throughout. Number two, the local church is a support, but not a substitute for the home. The local church is a support, but not a substitute for the home. So if you take a Proverbs 1.8, where the author is saying, Son, if you'll listen to my voice and if you'll heed your mother's commandments, and other similar statements throughout the book of Proverbs, it's not if you listen to the voice of the priest or if you listen to the voice of the prophet, although, obviously, the priest and the prophet had a very clearly defined, recognized role within the community. They weren't the ones who were raising up the sons and daughters. It was the father and mother in Ephesians 6.4. Paul doesn't say, even when the church has been founded after the resurrection and ascension of Christ, and you have the apostles laying the groundwork for the church, Paul never says, church, be sure that the kids are walking well or being faithful. 
It's always the parents who are directed to watch over their children and to instruct them and to train them up in the way of the Lord. Okay? So, here we go then. Session number one, patterns and persistence. And the gist of what we're trying to get across here in this first session is that discipleship in the home, when we're talking about our kids or our grandkids, discipleship is as much about a disposition and a way of life as it is anything else. There are lots of other things that you could say that discipleship includes or that it involves, but as parents, the thing that I see over and over again in Scripture in the most, uh, in the most significant passages, in the, in the passages that are clearest, Deuteronomy 6 being one of them, and then as you go through Scripture, I think any sort of quote-unquote, successful discipleship or discipleship done well, regardless of what the outcome is, is going to involve a disposition of the parent's heart and mind, and it's going to involve a way of life, what it looks like day in and day out to live in that home. So here's Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 7. This is sort of the quintessential Old Testament passage, at least, where you can get a glimpse of what discipleship might look like. So I'll actually start back at 6-4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. And then if you continue on in verse 8 and 9, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. But 5 through 7 is what we're going to key in on here. All right? The very first thing that we should take notice of is is the order in which these topics are raised. The very first thing, before you even get to the issue of teaching your kids the instruction or the attention is given to the parents. So when the statement is made in verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, he's talking to the adults, clearly. And it's from talking to the, the adults about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and having these words of mine on your heart, impressed upon your heart, it's from there that it goes into and teach your children diligently. So the significance of this is, first and foremost, that ultimately what parents should be mindful of is that if I want to raise up my children in the instruction of the Lord, it's, it's near impossible to do that with any kind of consistency or any kind of faithfulness if ultimately my heart isn't where I'm trying to direct my kid's heart. It, it's, just, it's just not going to work for a number of reasons. I mean, one, you could say, well, the kids are going to see through it. As they get older, they're going to start to you know, be able to discern, yeah, dad says this, but he doesn't really mean it because look at what he does. And you know, we'll, we'll talk about some of the other reasons that it becomes problematic. But it's significant that in this statement, before you get to the teaching of the kids, it's the adults who are charged with the responsibility of caring for their own hearts before they care for the hearts of their children. The best thing that you and I can do as parents or as grandparents or aunts and uncles or any of us who are in a position to shape or influence kids, the best thing that we can do is to have our own heart full of love and desire and zeal for God and to have our hearts saturated by Scripture so that what we do in interacting with kids is an overflow of what ultimately God is doing in us to begin with. One of the reasons why it becomes so important, this is sort of going from what's clearly stated in the, in the text to sort of a practical application. One of the reasons why it's so important to make sure that we have our hearts right before we try to get our kids right is that it's painfully obvious for anyone who's been, you know, wrestling with kids or trying to teach them, instruct them, correct them, that our kids will not remember everything that we say. 
but they will remember the things that we love. Or if you want to say the things that we get excited about, the things that we're passionate about. Right? Some of that is because when you talk to your kid, depending on how old your kid is, little preschooler or grade schooler is different than, well, sometimes it's different than when you're talking to a teenager. But oftentimes when you're, when you're talking to little junior, right, what you're saying is going in one ear and out the other. So you're trying to have this deeply spiritual moment with them and they're thinking about Bob the Tomato or... What they, what they saw in the latest cartoon, what happened at school or something like that. And you know that because they tell you right after you get done with this eloquent speech, they tell you what happened at school that day and it has absolutely nothing to do with what you were talking about. They, they don't remember, they don't even hear everything that we say to them. But as adults, we know that even though we can't quote verbatim everything our parents ever told us, we know the things that they were most involved with, that they were most committed to, that they were most passionate about. Whether it's football, whether it's a career, whether it's a spouse, whether it's the family, whether it's vacation, whether it, whatever it is, we know we pick up on those things. Closely related to that, what we love will find its way into our talk and into our time. This is why if your heart and my heart isn't preconditioned to lead our kids in the direction that we're wanting them to go. If our hearts are not moving in that same direction, this is why it doesn't work. Because ultimately, over the long haul, the things that, that really grab my attention or that captivate me or that get me excited, those are the things that I'll sacrifice for. Those are the things that I'll, I'll go to the mat for. Those are the things that I'll stand for and say... I'm, on this, I'm not budging. If, when it comes to trying to raise your kids in a Christian home, if you're not taken by the truth of Scripture, if you're not captured by the awesomeness of God and the person of Christ, it's, it's far, it becomes so easy then just to chuck it when it gets too hard, right? I don't want to deal with this. I'd rather be sitting down watching the game. And so, because you love the game more than you love the things of God, you shortchange what needs to be done here so that you can go after what you love most. The truth of the matter is, most of the... can't say that. That's too broad stroke. Oftentimes, the reason that you don't see better discipleship in the home is because the parents just aren't fully convinced themselves of the truth of Scripture, It's fine, it's a, it's a good way to live, there are advantages to it, but when it comes down to it, Scripture, the Christian way of life, the fake Christ, is not as real to them as what happens to me at work, or what happens on the weekend. The things that I'm pursuing, the things that I'm chasing after, are not the things of God, there are other things that I can gain and that I can acquire in this life. And so because of that, it just, it doesn't carry over. It doesn't transfer. Love this quote from Lewis, who gives an idea as to why it is that the things that we're excited about ultimately come out in our talk and in our time. Lewis says this, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it is expressed. It is frustrating to have discovered a new author and not to be able to tell anyone how good he is. To come, uh, to come suddenly at the turn of the road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur and then to have to keep silent because the people with you care for it no more than for a tin can in the ditch or to hear a good joke and find no one to share it with. You get the gist of what Lewis is saying there and how it relates to parenting? You, if, if your heart loves what you find in Scripture, if you love the things that pertain to Christ and his kingdom and all that, it, it's going to come out 
We're, we're wired to talk about the things that we love and that we enjoy. You see a good movie? Got to tell everyone about the awesome movie you saw, right? Yeah, you got to see it. If you're not talking about these things with your kids, is it possible that the reason you're not doing it is not, first and foremost, because you don't know how or you're not equipped to do it, but maybe because you're just not sold on it yourself? Your heart isn't convinced. Your heart isn't captured. So, moving back to Deuteronomy 6 then. It needs to, needs to be said that before you get even to the simple statement about teaching and instructing your children, that the ground on which you stand to train and to bring up your children is the heart condition that you possess yourself. You can't cultivate this kind of a heart in your child. You can't hope to pass this on if you don't have it yourself. That being said, assuming that that's there, that you do have a desire for the things of God, and that you want to pass that on to your kids, here's some things that we might take into account in light of verse 7. Notice, you shall teach them diligently to your sons, talking about the commands. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. So, here maybe are some things to take note of. One... All the times I've read this, I, I, I didn't know this until I uh, went through and was digging in a little bit more for tonight. The teach, teach them diligently, the Hebrew word is, uh, is a verb that usually means something like to sharpen or to pierce. So most of the time when you find that, that verb in the Old Testament, it's used a lot of times in the Psalms when it talks about sharp arrows that have pierced my heart or, you know, have gone into my liver or whatever, you know, word picture they use, something like that. So it may be that the better way to understand or the better way to make sense of what was being said in Deuteronomy 6-7, diligent is fine in the sense that it, it comes across with this idea of consistency. That's really picked up in the rest of the verse when you're talking about it wherever you're going and whatever you're doing. More to the point might be that what Deuteronomy 6 saying is, is that you need to teach pointedly or sharply. In other words, when you teach, you want to bore down into the heart or into the mind or into the soul of your little crumb cruncher or your strange teenager. You want to make sure that when you talk, you're speaking clearly you're speaking directly, and that you're driving at a point whenever you have an opportunity to teach. So, for example, uh, there was an article, um, was it this weekend? I don't know, I saw it on the web. Uh, Tiger Woods doesn't regret anything that he did and, you know, his marriage falling apart. And the person who was interviewing Tigers, uh, it started off, I think it was Charlie Rose. Everyone, Charlie Rose, right? Yeah. <laughs> Some people will admit it. Yeah. Everybody else is way too cool to watch that stuff. Uh, Charlie Rose was interviewing Tiger Woods and asked him, you know, do you have any, any regrets in life? And Tiger says, uh, yeah. He says, my one regret is that I didn't stay at Stanford for one more year. And Rose is kind of surprised by that. And he, he says, that's your only regret? He basically opening the door, Tiger, you know, you remember what you meant? And he says, well, you know, listen, what he, and he basically goes on and says, yeah, you know, that was a hard time and stuff. And he, he proceeds to talk about how he, how he addresses his children or how he speaks to his two kids about his adultery and the breakdown of the marriage and why it is that mom and dad live in separate homes. And as far as he gets in talking with his kids is to say that people make mistakes. Dad made a mistake, and so, you know, that's why mom lives in her house and I live in my house, and beyond that, he doesn't really go any further, all right? That, that is not pointed conversation, all right? The lingo today, like generic, lukewarm, pansy Christianity is to talk about mistakes or maybe regrets, all right? The pointed way 
to bore down into the heart and soul of your child is to talk about sin. Right? Don't use the cheap euphemisms that make it comfortable or that avoids the confrontation or the awkwardness. You're not doing your kids any good. Go to the Word, and if the Word calls this action sin, call it sin, and let your kids know that that's what it is. If this action is called righteousness, call it right. Use biblical terms. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't then explain to your children what those biblical terms mean. We'll, we'll talk about that also in a minute. But the point that we're trying to make here is just that. You need to be very direct and very pointed in your conversations with your children and not try to smooth over the tough spots or the rough edges or the sharp edges that Scripture brings to bear on our lives. Second, you teach them constantly. This is where it gets into, and you shall talk of them uh, when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. All right? Notice here that if you're going to talk about it constantly, and every parent knows this, you have to take the initiative to talk about it. My kids are not wired to talk to me about spiritual things. Not on their own. They have to acquire from me, from their mom, from the extended family, they have to acquire some sense of the fact that there is something more than what I just see or pick up with the physical senses. And if I'm not giving that to them, they're, they're not going to bring it up with me. I have to take the initiative. And I have to take the initiative when it comes to these conversations, not just in mentioning the fact that there's a God or talking about sin, but I have to take the initiative over and over and over again. Case in point. For years now, we've kind of made a habit where it, uh, every week, we, it's so-and-so's week, which means... They get a little more response, so it'll be Anthony's week. Okay, if it's Anthony's week, that means he's got to take care of the dog. He's got to do some stuff to help get the table ready for supper. It also means, though, that when it's showtime, he gets to pick the show. And at the end of the week on Friday, he gets to run out with Dad and do what I think are usually some cool errands. They usually think they're boring, right? Home Depot and I don't know. Okay, every time that we're in the car or that we're walking around, at some point in time... Without fail, from Anthony, who's 15, down to Casey, who's 5, I'll ask him, you have any questions or anything you want to talk about? You know what the answer is that I get? No. Every time. 15 to 5, they never have any questions and they never have anything they want to talk about. So Mr. Killjoy takes the initiative to set the agenda for the conversation. And so I'll ask questions to get them to respond to some things. I'll start to talk about things that I've been thinking about or things that I've been seeing, hopefully in a way that they can engage and can interact with me. But, but the point is, if I'm waiting for them to come to me to have these spiritual conversations or to talk about things related to Scripture, it, odds are... It's not going to happen, and it's certainly not going to happen with any kind of consistency that encourages life change and transformation. That has to happen over and over and over again, and it's not going to happen over and over and over again unless parents are the ones who are initiating that kind of talk and that kind of conversation. So, we take the initiative. Number two, here the little arrow under the, the bullet point there, is that when... Uh, Deuteronomy 6, 7 talks about talk, uh, talking these things over with your kids uh, when, you, uh, when you sit down, when you walk on the way, um, when you lie down, when you rise up. I th that's, that's pretty all-inclusive, right? So we would say things like uh, when you're sitting down to eat, when you're 
traveling in the car, when you're walking, when you're resting at the end of the day, whenever, wherever you are, you talk about it with your kids. But we also know that one of the things that God did for the benefit of his people is that it wasn't just simply that he gave to his people this you know, broad, open-ended charge and said, okay, listen, make sure you talk to your kids about spiritual things. But he worked into the calendar of, of the Israelite nation and he worked into their week-to-week life regularly scheduled events that were ready-made to talk about spiritual things. Sabbath. Everyone in the ancient Near East, everyone worked seven days a week, except Israel. She works six days a week, and on her seventh day, she doesn't do any work. She rests for an entire day. Dad, how come you're not working today? You get a day off today? Why do, why do, why do you have a day off? Right? And you get to talk about Sabbath. What's Sabbath? Where did that come from? Well, Sabbath comes from, and you begin to lay it out. You have high feast days and festivals and stuff like that. You have time regularly planned and scheduled where you know it's a given. We're going to talk about these things on these days. Fast forward to where we are right now. There are some things for a Christian home that should be a given. I would say, for example, bringing your family and gathering together at a local church with other Christians is a given. My kids should know that if it's Sunday, we're in church. Does that mean my kids won't pester me or won't ask if we can stay home? They sure will. Even a pastor's kid. Dad, why do we have to go to church? Shut up, kid. Get in the... No, I'm just... <laughs> right? No, I'm very spiritual and I say, hearest thou me, son? No. You, you take those opportunities as well, even when they're griping and complaining, to explain why it is that you're doing what you're doing. Those are regularly scheduled times that you're doing something that points them in a spiritual direction. There are other times that are much more flexible and are much more unique depending on every family and what their weekly schedule is in terms of work or other commitments or something like that. So some people will make a point to have the, if they're going to try to do something together as a family, if they're going to try to read uh, maybe a psalm or a couple verses or something like that, they know that if they don't do it first thing in the morning, it's not going to get done. Either because dad comes home late at night when the other kids have gone to bed because they've got something else going on that day that can't be avoided, so we get it done first thing in the morning before we do anything else, five minutes, ten minutes, whatever it is. Other people don't have that kind of uh, opportunity in the morning, but they do have it, say, at the end of the day when everybody's sitting around the table for supper. So they'll do it. Who cares? Breakfast, supper, do you have regularly scheduled times and events and 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 times together when you know this is an opportunity where it's, it's just a given. We're going to talk about these things. And then obviously there's spontaneity that comes with it. Not every spiritual lesson has to be scheduled. Not every spiritual talk has to be anticipated. In fact, some of the best talks and conversations you have are going to be the ones that you don't expect. Right? So... All right, this stays in here because we're all adults, right? So this is one of the times when you're writing with your kids and you say, you got anything you want to talk about? You have any questions? And the initial answer is no. So okay, you start talking. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, teenager says, Dad, is it okay for a married couple to... And drops out a term... I. I didn't even know he was aware of, right? At that particular point in time, I don't have the option of being able to come to a full and complete stop, open up, find my small New Testament in the glove box, and break it out and flipping furiously for some passage that deals with sexual relations between a husband and a wife. What I do have is the opportunity, hopefully, very calmly and casually 
to say, oh, that's a good question. What makes you think of that? Because I got to make sure, you know, his mom hasn't been running her mouth or any, her mouth or anything. And so then we begin to talk about, and we try to set some sort of a framework to talk about these things and to talk about even things that pertain to sexuality or uh, politics or work or interpersonal relationships in the home or at school or something like that, to talk about it in a framework that makes it clear that everything is being brought under the lordship of Christ. And, and those conversations are not always well planned out. They're not always well thought of. And in fact, a lot of those conversations, you get done and you're, you're just thinking, God, whatever it was that I said, if I know that there was a ton of it that was probably wrong and way off base. Just kind of wipe it from the mind. Don't let him retain anything. But if there was even a grain or something that was on the right track, Lord, you be good and kind to help that be the thing that sticks with him, or at least something that sticks with him so that he can build on it. All right, when you go on vacation, spontaneous conversations or discussions, they don't have to be long and drawn out. So if our family goes to the beach and you're, you know, you've got little two-year-old or three-year-old Casey or something like that, and you're, you're out on the beach with her, just, Casey, who made the water? Who made the sun? Who made the sky? Right? All, they, all she's going to be able to do is give you a one-word answer, God. Right? As the kids get older, you have a chance to say something like, when I see the waves coming in over and over again, and the sound, you have to yell, you have to shout over it, you know, you mention a passage that has to do with the sound of the Lord's voice being like thunder on the waters, the roar of the Lord's voice. You talk about his power in setting the limits, the boundaries of the sea and saying, come here and no further. You have all kinds of opportunities and it can be very short, very simple, very sweet and then you let it lie. Because the last thing that you want to do is turn every spiritual conversation into a monologue or a lecture so that your kids start to dread any, any mention of Jesus, right? So, plan some times out and try to be very consistent with those. At the same time, though, be ready for the unplanned, spontaneous conversations and even look to initiate some of those spontaneous conversations yourself. All right. So, getting to the idea of when you sit, walk, rest, and rise... Notice that when uh, Deuteronomy 6, 7 talks about you shall teach them pointedly to your children and you shall talk of them. I, I think those two words are not accidental, the fact that you have teach and talk. There are times when your children need to be taught, when they need to be instructed, and there are times when it's good to actually carry on a conversation or a dialogue, right? So, when it comes to the, the idea of teaching your children, of instructing, this is becoming much more countercultural because this is not the way the world works today for young kids. At a young age, age appropriate, as much as what they can handle it, teach your kids to listen. Teach your kids to stop and to stand still. Teach your kids to sit quietly. Now, understand. What it means for, say, a five or six-year-old boy to sit quietly is far, far different than what it means for a five or six-year-old girl to sit quietly. Also, when you're training your children to sit quietly so that you're giving them the ability to have times of instruction where they can listen... Do it in increments, right? You, you don't take your two-year-old and you don't put them on the couch and you don't have them sit there in absolute silence for 30 minutes. If you get up from this couch or if you make any noise, I'm going to spank you. Or I'm going to, right, Mr. Snuffy is going to go up in the closet and you'll never see him again. It's, it's never going to work. What you can do, though, is something that is more age-appropriate and that still accomplishes the same goal. You can have, you know, a little two-year-old come sit on your lap and you can read a book with them. Or you can sing a song with them. Or you can, you know, do something fun with them, but do it in such a way where 
where they get used to spending time where they have to sit with you, even if it's just for 60 seconds or two minutes, and as they get older, five minutes, 10 minutes, right? Get them used to being able to stop moving so that they can pay attention to something outside of themselves. There's a huge, huge growing dilemma that the church faces because, it, you know, in this wired society that we have, nothing is ever still, nothing is ever quiet. And so people gradually are starting to lose the ability to be able to sit and to listen. The challenge to the church, though, is that the primary way that God speaks to his people is through the written and spoken word. The written and spoken word does not come with bells and whistles and bright flashing lights and smoke machines and, and all this kind of laser shows. So if you're not ahead of the curve and looking at the fact that so much of what your kid is going to encounter in life is going to be running in the opposite direction, that you have to take the initiative to get them ready or to get them to expect the fact that there are times when it's good to sit and listen. When it is time for them to sit and listen, they're not going to know how to do that. All through Scripture, you see that there is something good and valuable about the fact that God's people, whether it's sitting with the Word in hand or sitting in a room with other Christians, there is something good and right about God's people sitting and listening to the voice of the Lord, right? Such that the Lord is saying, you sit and be quiet and you listen to what I have to say. That is very right. That is totally appropriate. But that's not the way that kids are wired. And it's okay that they're not wired that way. We just have to recognize that that is a learned behavior that we need to give them in the home. Otherwise, it's going to be very difficult to have any kind of sustained teaching or instruction as they grow, as they get older, and as they mature. They're just not going to want to do it. Train them to listen. More or less talked about that here. Let me back up just a second. On the idea of teaching them, which uh, comes along with the idea of training them to listen, we uh, neglected the talk part. Um, Christian discipleship is not all about, you know, having your kids sit down and say, okay, now you kids be quiet while you listen to dad talk. There are times when that has to happen because you have to impart to your children something that they don't have themselves or something that they're unaware of. And they don't have anything to contribute to the conversation because this is totally new to them. There are other times when things that you're working with or working on is something that you want to engage them on. You want to draw them into the conversation either because you want their, their little wheels to be turning or because you're trying to see how does this little heart and mind respond to this kind of an idea or this kind of a notion that I'm, I'm getting across here. And having a dialogue or a conversation even to the point where you let your child voice some disagreement or some doubt or some hesitancy over what you're telling them is very good. It's, it's okay for your, for your kids to wrestle with that and for you to give them the opportunity in the right way and at the right times to be able to respond to the things that they're hearing even if what they respond with is, oh, how can anyone believe that? Or what, are you telling me that, you know, that has to, you have to have room for that too. That's not so much the five-year-old, that's like when they get super smart, 12, 13, 14, all of a sudden they just jump light years ahead in their intelligence and their maturity. Number three, instruct even when they don't or won't understand. If you have your Bible open to Deuteronomy 6, I don't have this text to put up on the screen and I don't think I included it in your notes. If you stay in Deuteronomy chapter 6, you keep, there are multiple passages, but there's one uh, in the same chapter. If you go to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 20, notice, when your son asks you in time to come, saying... 
What do the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments mean which the Lord our God commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us from Egypt with a mighty hand. Moreover, the Lord showed great and distressing signs and wonders before our eyes against Egypt, Pharaoh, and all his household. He brought us out from there in order to bring us in, to give us the land which he had sworn to our fathers. So the Lord has commanded us to observe all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always and for our survival as it is today. Do you see the implication? The Israelites were told, you need to, out of the overflow of your heart and mind, what you're drawn to, you need to to try to share that or impart that, pass that on to your kids. And Psalm 78 gives the idea that you need to pass it on to your kids so that hopefully they pass it on to their kids after that, and it's extended generation from generation. Ultimately, that's, that's the big goal, the big desire. But Scripture also recognizes the fact that some of the things that you're going to do or some of the things that you're going to discuss with your kids, they, don't, they won't automatically understand or recognize why it is that you're doing this, or what it is that you're talking about. So, everybody, ha- everybody starts somewhere, and everybody has some point in time where they learn something for the very first time. So, here's little Samuel, and he's walking with Dad, and he finally gets to some point of awareness where he recognizes the fact that he and Dad are taking you know, the sheep to meet this guy who's wearing strange clothes and then this cute little lamb gets his throat cut and it's bloody and messy and, Dad, why are we doing that? And you explain, well, we do this as a way to atone for our sins. If you're three or four and you're asking why you're killing this cute little lamb, do you understand what atone for sin means? Probably not. Does that mean that you don't tell them? No, I mean, maybe you can use a different word than a tone. But even if you say something like, well, we do this because this is the way that we pay for our sins, or we show that we're sorry for our sin, even so, even the, the concept of sin is not something that a three- or four-year-old is going to be able to grasp in any kind of a complete way. So what do you do? You, don't, you never talk to your kids about sin until they're five until they're ten until they're no of course not you talk with your children and you work through the routines of Christian life in a Christian home even when they don't necessarily understand everything because what you're doing is that you're more or less building them up to grow in their understanding and in their awareness of what the Christian life is all about And as the kid grows, you'll start to see that there are stages. So we'll talk, for example, when we get to week three, when we're talking about conversion. One of the difficulties, one of the things that makes it very difficult for kids who are are growing up in a Christian home or who are raised in the church is that three, four years old, they have the ability to say, I asked Jesus into my heart today. And oftentimes, the reason they say that is because they've heard someone else say it. They don't have a clue what it means, and they don't even know that they've actually done it themselves. They just, they've picked up on the fact that it's a good thing. People get happy about that when somebody says that that's happened, or they know that they're supposed to, and they want to make mommy and daddy happy, so it'll be, you know, and they say that. They, They just do things out of rote memory. And then as they, they get a little bit older, they're able to do more, more than just parrot things back. They're, be, they're able then to maybe define or explain things a little bit more. Like, what, what, what do you mean, Seth, when you say you ask Jesus into your heart? And so maybe he can explain, well, that means that, and he explains it. But even then, that's still a far cry from saying that in from saying that because Seth is able to give a textbook answer for what these terms mean, that still doesn't necessarily mean that he understands it in his heart of hearts, that he's come to realize it and take hold of it for himself. 
The point that we're making is, if in all of these various stages and growth and learning and understanding, if you're waiting for them to come to that point before you ever start to talk to them about those things, you'll probably never get there. Or if you do get there, and God in his grace and mercy will allow us to work with our kids even when we've dropped the ball and when we've you know, missed the obvious, right? You'll find that you perhaps missed some very valuable times and some good groundwork that could have been laid or some good prep work that could have been laid to get you ready for some of these things that are now being brought to the forefront or some of the things that need to be addressed. So you need to instruct and you need to teach, we need to teach our children things that oftentimes will go beyond what they're able to grasp completely, but that's okay because how else are they going to learn? They have to be challenged. And then last point, I would just simply say this. When it comes to teaching and instructing, if just for simplicity's sake, you want to think, you want, okay, well, what does that mean then? What am I teaching my kids? What am I talking to them about? There are any number of ways that you can do it in any, um, I don't know, people will encourage it from different angles. If you want to just think simply in, in four categories, God, man, Jesus, and response. Somewhere along the lines, whether it's in planned conversation or in spontaneous conversation, you should be able to find ways to bring everything back to one of those four, right? Like the fact that God exists or that he's a creator or that he's holy or that he's a lawgiver. Uh, talking about man, our desires, our sins, disobedience, obedience. Talking about Jesus and who Jesus is and why Jesus came and why we want to live like Jesus and response, responding to what we see and hear in Scripture or responding to when God speaks to us. Again, age-appropriate and graded as the kids grow older, but that's pretty broad, pretty broad categories where almost anything that comes up in day-to-day -day life or in your planned discussions or something like that, there's any number of things that you can, you can work into a conversation that deal with those, all right? If worse, no, I shouldn't say that, if worse comes to worse. That's not the way to say it. At a minimum, what you can do is find a family verse or a family passage for us, we do Psalm 1. That's like when things start getting crazy, kids are, <laughs> kids are too loud in the car. Okay, everyone be quiet. Everyone recite Psalm 1. And so everybody has to, you know, how blessed is the man, who, right? And everyone gets quiet for a minute and mom and dad regain their sanity. Or you see attitudes getting out of check. And so, okay, I don't know what to say now. I'm at a loss. Okay, well, we can say Psalm 1. And so you do it. You've got a default you know, a crutch or something like that. Every, everybody can do that. You can have a key verse or some sort of passage that you go back to over and over again. And from time to time, you just bring it out randomly because it shows Scripture is always relevant. It's always good to talk about God's Word. It's always good to set our minds on Him. But you want to talk in and take advantage of any opportunity that you have in a broad, in a broad sort of way. Any questions or comments? It's kind of very broad, very, very quick running through this. Any corrections that need to be, need to be added? Because I'm open to that too. All right, Let, uh, last thing as we close out. Uh, some books up here on the table. Again, I, I think I said earlier, we, by nature, we tend to be more bookish in the way that we kind of work through some of these things or interact, so... Um, we love having good books around the house. If you want to come look, we, um, some books up here, uh, preschool age, some grade school, and then some starting to move into like even junior high and high school. Um, I'll add to the, um, to the books that are on the table as we go through the weeks. There are a couple more to, uh, to come back to, including, and I can't believe I left it um, in my office, a, a new book that just came out this year that talks a lot about what we're doing here. It, actually, like uh, I think two weeks before... Tonight, I got my hands on this book and was like, holy cow, this is, you know, almost verbatim some of the things that, that we're talking about here, which means 
that everything that I just said has to be right because it's in print somewhere. All right, I've got proof. Uh, but I'll bring that book. Uh, it has something to do with the disciple-making parent or something like that. I would encourage you to get that, but you'll, you'll see it later, okay? Let me close this out with a word of prayer, and, and we'll be done. Father, I pray that uh, for myself, for everyone else in this room, and, uh, or even listening to this uh, recording, would, um, to the extent that they have been tasked with shaping and molding young hearts and young minds, that they would see most clearly and most importantly, um, that they can impart to, uh, to a child or to a teenager what they don't first possess themselves. Uh, that when we're called to disciple and to train and to instruct, that we would do that not merely out of obligation or out of a sense of duty, but that we would do it because we are desiring to pass on to our kids, our grandkids, um, those things that we're most excited about, that we're most passionate about. And that really we find that we can't help but talk about you and the work of your son and this grace that we stand in. Uh, give us humility. Help us to, to recognize that none of us have a, uh, a corner on this parenting market. Um, that you work with us in unique ways because all of our families are unique. We ask that the families here at Edgewood would um, just be a source of mutual encouragement for one another. Um, as we face these um, trying and difficult times, help our families to be these little, um, I don't know, places of uh, respite and rest and peace in the midst of a chaotic and, uh, and sinful world. Uh, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for uh, your goodness as our Father and uh, ask that you would help us to walk in the light of your example. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.